So a bunch of people that I work with, some of you know I work part-time um, at, uh, at Target. And so a number of them uh, asked me this week, and they found out that, uh, that I was going to be filling in for Jeremy, asking me, so what's the topic of your sermon? And this is what I really love about Calvary Chapel. Last week, Jeremy covered uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Guess where I'm going to pick up? Verse 3. So it's not a question about what I'm going to talk about. It's just a question of we're going to pick up where we left off. So if you have your Bibles and everybody except for one said you did or you got it on your smartphone, if you want to uh, go to Romans 12, we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to go... Get this, we're going to go like a speed of lightning. We're going to go from three all the way to eight. Um, Jeremy was concerned, you know, Jeremy, if you're listening, you remember you were concerned that because of next Sunday is uh, Palm Sunday, we'll have a special speaker uh, next Sunday. The Sunday after is Easter, so we'll break probably from Romans and have a message just for Easter. And so his concern is, how long are we going to be in chapter 12? And all of you know, there's so much meat in chapter 12. What I wanted to do, just for Jeremy, so he'd have a heart attack when he's listening to this, is to say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to finish all of 12 today. But we're not. Uh, but he certainly is concerned that we may be in uh, Romans 12 for a while. So if you've got your Bibles opened up to uh, uh, Romans 12, we're going to start by looking at just verse 3. Verse 3 of Romans 12 says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, so you remember, as I said that last week, he went over verses 1 and 2. And so I'm just going to back up a little bit, and I'm going to reread verses 1 and 2. Uh, verse 1 starts, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, this is a key part, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As a side note, We've all heard on the news from time to time here recently, if, uh, uh, if you've been on Facebook or uh, in any of those, those sorts of uh, social media, we've all heard about uh, what's going on or was going on at Asbury College in Kentucky, right? Um, interesting enough, the person who spoke in the chapel service when that revival started spoke on verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12. Um, and it was such a convicting message, not what he said, but those verses that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, that literally the entire congregation that was there at that morning chapel refused or didn't want to leave, but they all came forward and started to pray. Um, and as they started to pray, word spread throughout the campus and more and more came forward. Uh, faculty and, and the students came forward that day to pray on that, those particular two verses. Uh, and again, I heard uh, the guy uh, who was speaking that day uh, on a radio talk show, and he said literally he had nothing special to deliver that day uh, other than to just read those verses, and it was those verses that did it. And then from those verses... You go on to verse 3, and what does verse 3 say? You know, verse 3 has a very definite message from Paul to us. And what he says in that warning uh, is that we need to be sober. We, we may need to make sure that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we really are. Well, how does that come about in this whole thing? I mean, take verses 1 and 2, and then where is he at with verse 3? Well, first of all, we all know Paul, and we know Paul uh, certainly did not think more highly of himself than he ought, right? He said he was the chiefest of sinner. Uh, Scott, I've said this over and over and over again. I'm convinced that Paul's in heaven right now saying to the Lord, can I go back and revise that? Because I want to say, after Steve Case, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm convinced uh, that he sees me and recognizes who I am, and he realizes I really am the chief of, of sinners, 
But he recognized that he shouldn't think more highly of himself than he ought. You know, I got to believe that when he was writing this, just like when I'm talking to you, you know, in the back of my mind, whether it's Satan or just uh, my common sense, I'm thinking back to all the things that I've said and done over the years, the things that I, I participated in before I was saved. And I recognize, really, if you guys knew, if you guys really knew, Bryce, uh, who I was, you might say, yeah, why don't you sit down and shut up, if you really knew. And I think Paul was exactly the same way. I mean, look what the things that Paul was involved in before uh, he, he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He had to be saying to himself, I can't think more highly of myself because I know who I was. The other part of this, go back and look at verse 2 of Romans 12. Isn't it really interesting that the God of heaven, the God of the universe, who I can't get my head around the universe, let alone the creator of the universe. I've said before a number of times, uh, I really enjoy, my buddy Lamar uh, got me uh, started looking at the James Webb telescope site. Um, and so I look from time to time because he started telling me this is really, and it blows my mind, some of the things that they see uh, with telescopes and, and the pictures that they put, and then also some of the articles that they post about how vast the universe is. Supposedly, supposedly, they said, because the, their telescope is now more advanced, that in our universe, the Milky Way, or in our galaxy, rather, the Milky Way, there are over 200 billion stars. I don't get that number. 200 billion stars. First of all, who took the time, Ryan, to count those? I mean, come on. Who took the time? But they estimate over 200 billion stars. Now, with, with the newer telescopes, they can look so far in the universe that they're saying there are more galaxies than we have stars. How big is God that he created all of this, right? And then if you look at verse 2, what does verse 2 say? Verse 2 says that he then has a plan for each and every one of us. Individually, he has a plan for each and every one of us. Well, I don't know about you, but to think that, first of all, that the God that built the universe even knows my name is incredible. And then to think, Rodney, that he would actually say, I've got a plan for Steve, and I'm going to help Steve work it out in spite of himself. I'm going to help Steve work out his plan. That's incredible. And if I'm not careful, because I, like probably everybody else, has pride uh, if I'm not careful, all of a sudden I can start to think, you know what, I'm really something. But the truth of the matter is, we ain't, right? We're nothing. And yet God chooses, according to verse 2, and according to what we know, he chooses to, to use us in spite of ourselves. He chooses to use us. The good news is, when I do get a little prideful, and I really do start to think that maybe I really am something, God has a great way of humbling us, right? Um, turn back in your Bibles. Unfortunately, I've got a, a number of scriptures that we're going to look at today, so we're going to do a little bit of a, of a sword drill here. Go back in your Bibles all the way back to Numbers. Now, Numbers is all the way back in the Old Testament, not all the way to the front, but pretty close to the front. We want to go to uh, Numbers uh, chapter 22, Verse uh, 28. Let me give you the backstory. As soon as I start giving the backstory, you'll remember this story, right? Balaam, uh, Balaam had been uh, uh, contacted by some pretty high officials and said, I need you. And in fact, not only do I need you, I'm going to give you a boatload of money if you'll just do what I say. Now, what he wanted him to do was contrary to what uh, uh, God's will was, but that's a pretty heady situation, right? It'd be kind of like if the president of the United States, first of all, he doesn't even know our names, right? I don't think there's anybody here uh, who the president knows their name. But let's just say, Justin, that the president knows your name and he calls you one day and says, Justin, I need you. And not only do I need you, all that money that, that Hunter got illegal. No, no, never mind. No. But anyway, I'm going to give you a bunch of money besides right? I'm going to, to pay you well. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, at least for a short period of time, 
Justin would puff his chest out and say, you know what, Jess, the president called me today and he needs me. That's where Balaam was at. Right? Even though the message, he had to know the message was wrong, that's where Balaam was at. So Balaam decides, you know what, okay, I'm going to do this. And he starts out to do it. And the neat thing is, you've got to love this story because it's, it's certainly encouraging for me. If a donkey can talk, maybe even I can say something worthwhile, right? Uh, but the donkey uh, uh, balks a number of times. Balaam gets mad. Uh, every time that he balks, which I think was three times, uh, Balaam beat the donkey. And finally, in verse 28, we read... Um, uh, let's see if I can find verse 28. We can read, The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? That's got to be just a little bit humbling to have a donkey turn and correct you. It just got to be a little. And you know what? If it's not a donkey, how many people have kids? Yeah. Do you ever have your kids say anything humbling? No, never, never. I, I tell you, the, the uh, most of the stories that I, I, I tell you are true. My wife is watching. She can verify that I don't exaggerate too much. But I don't let, you know, things get in the way of telling a good story. This is really true, though. You know how you go to a new church, and after you've been to a new church for a while, people say, well, this doesn't happen so much anymore, but uh, in the old days, Eric, right? Uh, people would invite you home for lunch after church. So we'd been going to this church, oh, I don't know, uh, I'm going to say three or four weeks um, I'm guessing on, on that. And a couple invited us to home for lunch. And so we're following home. I didn't know where they live, so we're following them home. And uh, my wife said to me, Steve, I don't know their names. Their first, I don't even know their last name, let alone their first names, right? Have you ever been in that situation? And, and I didn't either. I said to her, I didn't either, but it's no big deal. Because during lunch, if we listen closely, sooner or later, they'll express their names and we'll be okay. Sure enough. Uh, the wife uh, said, to, said uh, about her husband, yeah, I told Lawrence that we needed to do, ah, I got Lawrence, got that, right, locked that one in. Uh, and later on, Lawrence said, oh, Isabel, this meal was fantastic. Oh, I got that one, locked it in. The rest of the day, we were good. Um, I played the piano better than, than I do now. We played the piano, we sang songs, we played some games. In fact, they asked us, why don't you stay for supper? We'll have ice cream. I'm in, I love ice cream. Uh, so we stayed, had supper, and had ice cream. Um, what I missed in the whole thing was my oldest daughter at the time was about three years old. And she was in the car with us when we were having this conversation. So the day was done. Everything was perfect. I'd referred to him by name a number of times. Uh, I'd referred to his wife by name a number of times. We got ready to leave. He's a big farmer. He reached down to my daughter, Pam, to shake her hand and say, thank you for coming. And she said... And sooner or later, we'll remember your names. <laughs> humbling? Very humbling. Uh, in fact, the whole rest of the time that I knew him, he has since passed, uh, that I knew him, every time I'd see him, he'd walk up and say, Hi, I'm Lawrence. You can remember my name. Nice guy, right? So, but the same thing happened here to, to Balaam, right? How humbling is that? And the Lord's just got this way that if, at least for me, I don't know if it's true with you, but at least for me, if I start to get just a little bit uh, heady about this stuff, and I think that I'm really something, the Lord just has a way of humbling me. Okay, let's move on to verses 4 and 5. We're back in, uh, in Romans. Uh, we want to look at verses 4 and 5. Yeah, I'm in Hebrews. How does that work out for us, right? <laughs> All right. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5 says, For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And you've probably heard this, uh, this, these verses uh, taught on before uh, about all of us being one members and people like to, to make it into a human body, which I never really get. You know, you're kind of like an eye and I'm kind of like a right hand and you're kind of like a left hand. I, I, I don't necessarily get that. But you do understand that, in fact, that is our congregation. We're all individuals and yet we all have a function. Uh, my brother Joe last week started to be an usher. 
Turns out he's a natural. If you know Joe, first of all, he's got a quick smile, right? That always helps when people come in, when you're smiling at him instead of frowning. That, that helps a lot. Also, Joe uh, is also very quick uh, to, to start a conversation. Um, he's just a natural at being an usher. Now, I don't know. Uh, would he be good at other things too? Would he be good at making coffee? I don't know. But he's certainly uh, already uh, good at uh, making uh, conversation and, and being an usher and meeting people at the door. My buddy Maya, you know week after week after week, Maya stands back there and takes care of the sound. And I don't know if you realize or not, but I think that over uh, time, sound has gotten better and better and better. I, I, Maya's doing a, a fantastic job. Now, that's not a job for me. I spent too many years in a sewer pipe, you may know it as a submarine, uh, with a diesel engine running down in the floor below me, and it literally has wiped out uh, all of the nuances uh, in my hearing, right? Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, when we got the new subwoofers, uh, Jeremy, all excited, came to me and said, did you notice the difference in the sound? Did you notice the difference in the sound? And I had to be honest and say, no. Because uh, I just, I just, my hearing's out there. So if I took over Maya's job, this would all be a disaster. Maya, week after week, uh, does a great job. We have a number of people. Jace uh, is there today taking care of, of the words. Grace does on a regular basis. Uh, Chris does uh, very, very regularly. Heidi, uh, so on and so forth. Do a fantastic job. And as we're singing, just as we get ready for the next stanza, the words come up. Think about this for a second. What about if we put Pastor Jeremy back there with his ADHD, <laughs> right? Right? Somebody would get up to go out to the bathroom and he'd be thinking about, gee, I hope they're all right. I hope they're not being sick. I hope everything is fine. I hope the bathroom got cleaned this morning. And meanwhile, we'd be going, you know, three stanzas on and he still wouldn't have changed it, it right? Probably wouldn't work out for him. Does a great job teaching, uh, but probably that wouldn't uh, work out the best. But we have people like that that are taking care of that. Uh, Mike is out today taking care of security. Thank goodness uh, for people who make sure that uh, no one comes in uh, that might want to cause harm or damage. Or the folks that are up taking care of the kids today. God bless them, up taking care of the kids um, and, and providing children's ministry uh, for, for us. Um, so many aspects. Lauren uh, got in here this morning uh, and had the coffee and tea all ready to go for us. Uh, so many people individually have talents that they apply into our service, right? And collectively, we have this amazing thing happening that we call church. And probably for the most part, you don't even stop to think about, gee, I hope someone's taking care of security. What are going on with, unless you have kids, then you worry, you probably know what's going on with your kids. But you probably don't think about all these things that are happening. And yet it all happens because we all have individual talents individual skills uh, that, that are applied and end up with what we call church. One body, yet individual pieces. And if you notice the end of verse five, it says that we are individual, yet one, right? Aren't we one big congregation, one big body? And we function, but what we've, at least uh, I tend to forget week after week, all of these individual pieces make this all come together. You know, um, Brother Hammer wanted to be the president of the master toolbox. Um, that's what he wanted. Screwdriver right away said, no, there's no way. I mean, you, first of all, you're very noisy and you're always driving your point home. Hammer says to Screwdriver, yeah, but Screwdriver, all you do is go in circles, spin in circles, that's, that's all you really do. Screwdriver says, yeah, but I'm certainly better than that plane over there because all of his work is just surface work, right? He never really gets any depth at all. I mean, what good is he? And plane says, well, you know what? I'm still better than ruler because ruler has got to measure everything and he's got everything measured to his own standard. I mean, come on, that's not the kind of person we want. Ruler says, well, what about pliers over there? Pliers, he needs to get a grip. And plier says, yeah, well, that may be fine, but I'm certainly not like sandpaper. Sandpaper just rubs everybody the wrong way. And then in walks the master craftsman. And the master craftsman takes all of those tools and using those tools, each with their own individual function and each with their own individual drawbacks, 
uses those tools to create a masterpiece. Isn't that what we do here? And I know it seems like the last three messages that I've delivered here, we've talked about people using their talents. And it's not that, really, honestly, it's not that we're running out of people. Kylie, close your ears. <laughs> it's not that we're running out of people. We have adequate people to do all the tasks that need to be done. But where you're missing it is the blessing that you receive by using your unique talent to provide service to this congregation. Justin and Jess, quite honestly, I love these guys. I love Justin's voice. I, just, I like that country twang. I like the way he plays. It's just, I love his voice, and I love his style, and, and Jess along with him. But what a blessing it is for us that week after week, uh, they obviously we have a large team, so it's not always them every week. Thank goodness, right? You guys be burnt out real quick. But they, along with the others, bring us worship week after week. And if you ask them, you'll find out that they receive a blessing from being able to lead us into worship. And that's the thing that I want us to, to get our heads around is there is a blessing we receive by serving. Uh, and we certainly uh, bless others in the process. And how does all that work? Well, we have a master craftsman. We know him as Lord, master craftsman, that takes all of us, even in spite of ourselves. You know what? He can even take me and make me useful. Hard to believe. I know everybody's saying, I don't know if that's really possible, but he can take even me. And if he can take me and make me useful and make me fulfill a purpose, he can do the same thing for all of us. Okay, let's move on to verses 6, uh, six 7, and 8. Romans 12, verse 6, 7, and 8. Verse 6 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given us, let us use those gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He And then he who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, or another version says generously. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So there's a list of gifts here uh, that I ran through very, very quickly uh, that, that Paul brings out. If you're interested, I'm not going to go through it because it would be so lengthy, but if you're interested, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you'll find out these same gifts uh, Paul brings out uh, and manifests those gifts in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Or if you want to see the ultimate goal of what happens with these gifts, in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, Paul takes these same gifts and turns them into ministries, which is what we're talking about here, right? It's great that we all have gifts, but if you don't do something with them, if you don't manifest them, well, they're kind of useless at that point. Uh, and if you don't take them and turn them into ministry, uh, my buddy Chad um, takes care of the men's ministry on, on Tuesday night. He takes his gift uh, and uses it and turns it into a ministry that all of us guys uh, benefit from. Grace does the same thing with the ladies on Tuesday night. So again, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see where they're manifested. Uh, Ephesians 4, you'll see where uh, they're turned into ministry. Paul actually broke these, these gifts down into two categories. You don't necessarily see it because it's just one long list, but it's actually two different categories. The first category uh, is those gifts that expound the word. Um, and you'll go through those first. Uh, and then behind that are the gifts that then expand the work. Prophecy. What is prophecy? I don't know what you guys think, but for me, I hear prophecy and I automatically start to think that it's somebody foretelling the future. Sometimes that's true. Not always, but sometimes that, that is. But it's more than that, more than just uh, foretelling the future. It's also forth-telling the future, or if you will, it's truth-telling. It's expounding the word, declaring the truth. Um, 
For some people, and we, used, we had a lady here in our congregation. She's no longer with us anymore. Um, she's in heaven uh, enjoying the fruits of her labor. Uh, but uh, we used to have a lady here who regularly, well, I don't know if I want to say regularly, occasionally maybe is better. Um, she would have a scripture that was burning on her heart um, that she either would read or sometimes she would have, that was back when Pastor Jim was still here, she'd have Pastor Jim read it. Or uh, Sam was here, was our worship leader at the time. Sometimes she'd give it to Sam and Sam would lead it. But she just literally had scripture for us to hear. No explanation, no great detail, just a truth that was burning on her heart that she wanted us to hear. Uh, since Mary's uh, not here, we don't have anybody with that gift at the moment. But quite honestly, I'm praying, we're praying, that in fact that gift is given to someone and that they would be here to be able to share with us words of prophecy, whether that's scripture or something that God laid on their heart, something without explanation. So that's prophecy. Notice that... As I describe prophecy, it's not with an explanation. It's not God giving you a scripture and then you giving a message as a result of that. It's just a truth that God gives you and it's burning in your heart and you just have no choice uh, but to share that. Ministering or serving others, right? It's not necessarily uh, ministering like in Pastor Jeremy is a minister. Uh, ministering, serving others. Um, prophecy declares truth. What does ministering do? It puts truth into action, right? You guys down in the Dominican Republic. It's, you guys are ministering when you go down to Dominican Republic and help these, these ladies, the Haitian ladies. It's taking truth uh, and putting it into action. A good example of that, of course, was Christ. If you go back and read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that Christ declared the truth, but then he put it into action. He ministered. He, he uh, 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 healed the sick, uh, uh, healed the lame, caused uh, blind eyes to see, etc., etc., etc. He put it into action. Another good example is uh, go back to Acts 9. Now we're in Romans, so Acts is just one chapter, one uh, book backwards, heading towards the Old Testament. We want to go to Acts uh, 9, verse 36. So, chapter 9 of Acts, verse 36 says, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated in Greek to Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Wow, what a testimony, right? What a, what a testimony. What a, what a lady this must be. Can't wait to get to heaven and sit down and talk to her for a little bit. Uh, that God would say in his word about her that she was charitable and did good deeds. I wish that was true for me. I got to tell you, I don't think that that's so, good for, that, that's so true for me. But Dorcas was a lady who was known to do good deeds. That is ministry. Uh, again, I, I pick, on, uh, pick on the two, two of you, uh, but going to, to uh, uh, Dominican Republic and ministering to those people. Uh, Dan and a whole team just got back from Africa, and that's what they did in Africa. They ministered to people. Um, and it's something that we should be looking to do day in and day out. Sometimes it's only being at work and recognizing somebody is having a particularly difficult time and taking the time to talk to them. And yes, you can do this in the workplace. You're allowed to pray with them. Uh, you may want to ask their permission first before you raise your hand, start raising your voice. And, but, but, you, but we can do that, right? Uh, it's also looking for people who have needs uh, and being able to, to meet those needs. Teaching, the next one in that list, in expounding the word, I can't think of a better example than Pastor Jeremy. Week after week after week after week, teaching us from God's word, bringing a message to us that's, that's delivered to him by God. I believe that wholeheartedly with my heart. Um, and he does that. Notice prophecy is declaring the truth, right? 
Ministering is putting the truth into action. Uh, teaching is to then take that truth or take a truth and expand on it and make it into practical applications for us, things that we can use day in and day out. Uh, a prophet tends to be uh, sporadic. Occasionally they deliver a word, but it's not every week. A teacher has a much harder task in that week after week after week, uh, Jeremy stands up here and delivers uh, God's message to us. Exhortation. What is exhortation? Exhortation is just developing the truth. I got to be honest. One of the reasons I come to church, one of the reasons, other than I really like to talk to everybody, in case you didn't know that. Uh, but besides that, one of the reasons I come is because I need correction on a regular basis. Exhortation is a proverbial kicking in the pants for me, right? And that happens from time to time, uh, where uh, and sometimes it's something that Jeremy said on Wednesday night. It wasn't what he said. It was what the scripture said. And God had a message for me, a message of correction for me, uh, outside of what Jeremy was talking about. It just struck me as I was sitting here on, on Wednesday night. Um, that's exhortation, is developing the truth. And oftentimes uh, it is a, a kick, kick right in the pants, or at least for me anyway. A great example of that is a go back, if you're still in Acts, if you didn't go back to uh, uh, Romans, uh, go to Matthew verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 26, and you'll know this one well as we read it. Uh, what was happening was uh, there was a major storm uh, that was going on, and the disciples uh, were all upset about the storm. Right? It's kind of amazing to me, um, though I suspect that I would be exactly the same way. Here they spent all this time with Jesus, all this time, and you would think that they would have gotten the message that, Jesus can do just about anything. And so you'd think they would sit in the boat with the storm going on saying, yeah, no big deal. He's got it. But nope, nope. They were like you and me, Tim. Uh, they were all worried. They were all upset. Uh, they didn't know what's going on. They were fearful for their life. So chapter 8, verse 26 says, But he, he being Jesus, said to them, Why are you fe fearful, O you of little faith? Ouch. Ouch, right? Uh, can you imagine the look on their face when they realized what he was saying was just what I'd said, that after all this time being with, with him, you would think that they would go ahead and recognize that there was nothing to worry about, that everything was going to be taken care of, but they, like everybody else, um, saw those miracles, saw all the things that he did, uh, but when it came personal, and the ship was in trouble, and they were in a storm, right away they just automatically assumed that he couldn't handle that. Uh, and quite honestly, I'm guilty of that myself. But that's exhortation, is when God, or maybe it's something that Jeremy says, or sometimes it may be just something that another person says to you, where it's a, just a little bit of uh, a correction, at least in my life. So those are the gifts that are expounding the word. All of those gifts, which were prophecy, which declare, declares the truth, ministering, which puts the truth uh, into action, teaching, which delivers and expands that truth, and exhortation, which develops a, a, an application for that truth. Then the rest of the gifts that Paul mentions here are the gifts that expand the work. No one likes the first one. Nobody likes it. Everybody starts to get antsy. We talk about the first one, which is giving, right? Right away, everybody thinks that uh, oh, we need to have your money or something. You know what? God doesn't need your money. Um, and I mean this sincerely, God continues to bless us. So it's not that we want uh, our money, uh, want your money, but obviously giving expands the work. Um, we wouldn't be able to go over to Africa um, and minister to those folks if it wasn't for the giving that happens. We wouldn't be able to go down to the DR and do the work there if it wasn't for the giving. By the way, I heard a lot of people showed up on Tuesday night uh, for the meal at, uh, at uh, uh, Grill 101, right? 110, close. I was close. Only, only off by nine. That was just off by nine. But, but isn't that great? Uh, first of all, that there would be a secular business 
that's more than willing to get involved with us uh, and to give some of their profits back to us uh, to help the folks down in the DR. Uh, because of giving, all that's possible. But not only does it expand the work, in that case, uh, the work down in the DR, um, not only does your giving help us expand the work here, um, how many brought their kids on uh, last night uh, to, to come to the party? Yeah, a couple of people did, right? Did you guys go out and have a, have a, a date night afterwards? Ah, perfect, perfect. So uh, because of your giving, we're able to do those, the, that sort of thing, right? But it does more than that. It expands your ministry. Personally, it expands you. Um, I don't know whether I've shared this with you guys or not. I certainly have on Tuesday night. By nature, before Christ, by nature, I'm as stingy as they come. I mean that sincerely. I was all about building a fortune. And that's just where I was at before I came to Christ. My oldest daughter, the one, by the way, that embarrassed me about, about uh, uh, Lawrence and Isabel's name, inherited that from me. Before she came to the Lord, same thing. We, she and I often talk about the fact that we're thankful that the day I was saved and the day that she was saved, for whatever reason, praise God, he chose to take that away. I'm thankful. Now, there's a bunch of other things in my life that I wish he would take away. And we're having this ongoing discussion about, could you just, you know, take it away? It'd be a whole lot easier. And I wouldn't mess up so much if you would, but, but he hasn't done that. But with that, uh, he took that away. And what I find uh, is that in giving, it expands me. Something about it, when you're willing to give away what you've got, there's something about it that expands you. Um, I have friends of mine in Pennsylvania. I know you're wondering, how many friends do you have? I actually have a lot of friends, or maybe my wife would say I have a lot of acquaintances. But I have friends of mine in Pennsylvania. Uh, my uh, brother-in-law uh, was going to go to seminary. They called him up. He was starting seminary on a Monday. On a Friday, they called him up and said, go down to the Chevy garage, pick out whatever car you want. It's already paid for it because we want to make sure that you have a good vehicle so that you can get back and forth to seminary because we want you to go into the ministry. My sister-in-law, this was the UCC church, my sister-in-law later on also decided to go to seminary. She got a phone call, same couple, said, go on down to the Chevy garage, pick out whatever car that you want. I want to make sure that you uh, have good transportation to go back and forth to seminary in the ministry. When my sister-in-law graduated and we had a little party, I made it my point to sit next to this couple uh, at the meal because I had to know. And my question is, that's a wonderful thing that you're doing. Why? And they said, before we were saved, we were all about building our own fortune. And we've got this contest going with God that we're trying to see how much we can give away. The problem is, every time we give some away, he gives us more. So we give away again. He gives us more. And we're not giving away so that we get more. We're trying to find a way to get rid of our, our, the, the money that we've got. And he keeps giving us more and more and more. By giving, it literally expanded this couple. Um, not only in the fact that uh, they were on this path where, where money just didn't mean anything to them anymore because they kept trying to give it away, but also... Think of the relationships they built over time with people, because it wasn't just people who went into ministry. <clears throat> if they realized that there was somebody that was financially in trouble, they'd go in and pay their mortgage, pay their rent, pay their electric bill. It was just the nature of this couple. Um, and so consequently, not only did it expand them uh, by uh, getting rid of that, that money and that urge for money, but it expanded uh, all the people that they knew and the friends that they built up over time. So giving. And again, it's not that we need your money. It's that you need to give. You begin to wonder whether I was ever going to take a drink, right? I learned that from Jeremy. I learned that from Jeremy. Jeremy's taught me how to do that. You grab the drink and walk around like you're going to drink, and then you never take a drink. And then Grace yells at him for it. No, that's not, that's not true. Um, in all seriousness, recently... Uh, I had the opportunity where uh, rec recently uh, I was told of a need. Uh, 
people that weren't going to be able to pay their rent. Um, my point is, when I gave the money, I didn't then turn around and micromanage and try to figure out where did they spend every dime. Did they really pay the rent? Or did they pay the rent partially and go out to dinner? Not my business. My business was, God said, take care of this need, and I was able to take care of the need and walk away from the situation, right? That's the sort of thing that I would desire for each and every one of you, that it wouldn't be necessarily giving money into the church, but look for needs, look for people. And you know, it's not money always. Um, my buddy Orson is very talented uh, with machinery and stuff, right? Sometimes it's using the skill that God gave you to help somebody because their snowblowers broke and I want to go help them get their snowblower back together. Um, it's finding out that there's a couple that has uh, five, four or five rambunctious kids and for whatever reason they didn't know about Saturday night and you say, you know what, I've got two kids of my own or maybe I don't have any kids. Let me have your kids for, for a night and you guys go out and relax. Giving is much, much, much more than money. Giving is an attitude to be able to, to pay back what God has done for you. And don't worry about how it's being used, you know. Uh, I always, uh, I joked the last couple of weeks when we talked about uh, the jam jam that happened last night and saying, and I bet I really meant it, is maybe what the couple did was bring their kids and go out on a date night. Praise God, that's wonderful. Maybe it was bring the kids and go home and just sit and have some quiet time. I get that, right? I get that. Maybe it was the, the latter. It didn't really matter what people did with it. The next one on the list is leadership. Or the King James Version, uh, if you like the King James Version, says not leadership, but rule. You know, there's just some people that know how to get things done. Um, and that's leadership, and that's ruling, right? Um, when there's a need, maybe they're not necessarily going to be the one doing the need, but they just know how to get things done. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy... I didn't know there was a contest. Grace, this is something since you're uh, an ace with Legos. Sorry, I'm picking on you. Uh, but uh, there's a guy, there's a contest that happens every year of the best use of duct tape. Of course, right? Of course there had to be one of those. So every year there's a contest. Uh, five years ago, there was a guy who won the award for the best use of duct tape. Know what he did? He had a problem with the wing on his airplane. He used duct tape to fill it, to fix it, and then flew from Guatemala to Honduras to prove that it worked. That's pretty good use of duct tape, right? <laughs> but there's just some people that just know, just naturally know how to get things done. Great example in the Bible, of course. Go back to Luke. So we were in uh, Acts, then we were in Matthew. Uh, another gospel is Luke. We want to go to Luke chapter 9, verse 14. I, lo I love this. I, I, I can kind of paraphrase this. Uh, but so 14 says, so there were about 5,000 men. Now realize they were just counting the men. So there were probably at least 5,000 ladies. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but historians tell us that the average size of a family, of, of a Jewish family at Christ's time was 10, eight kids. Wow. Um, so if that was true, there were 5,000 men, 5,000 ladies, and a whole bunch of kids uh, that he had just got done speaking to. Um, and uh, he said to his disciples, uh, they wanted to know, sorry, going back to verse 13, they said, how are we going to feed all these people? I mean, there's a lot of people here. How are we going to do it? And it's a monumental task, right? Uh, put on a meal for, uh, uh, I'm going to say, 20, 25,000 people, monumental task. Um, and there were about 5,000 men, verse 14 says, and he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50, right? Isn't that leadership? Isn't that a great example? They don't know what to do. They're all in a frenzy. Uh, Kylie's running around like crazy. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And Jesus says, all right, start by getting them to sit down in groups of 50. You can probably feed 50 at a time. You can probably deal with 50 at a time. So don't look at the 5,000. Look at the 50. We have in this church some really, really great uh, leaders uh, in this church that just literally know how to get things done. 
And they're not necessarily in a position of authority or in a, a position of prominence. They're just people who know how to get things done. If you've been here for a while, uh, quite a little while now, uh, we had a guy by the name of Roger Arnett here. Uh, some of you remember uh, Roger. Roger was incredible. It didn't matter what it was. Roger knew how to get it done. Um, and we would, Pastor Jeremy and before him, Pastor Jim, would regularly take things that would seem like impossible and go to Roger and say, Roger, this is what we need to have done. Roger could figure it out. It just, he was just one of those guys. It was a big loss when he moved to, to the state of Washington. Uh, I'm still a little ticked off he works for the government. I'm still a little ticked off at the government because Roger was fantastic. His wife, uh, Vicki, took care of hospitality, and uh, it was just uh, an incredible couple that the government took away from us, and we can be ticked <laughs> off at them. <laughs> but, but there's some people like that. The next one is Mercy. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm being really honest. I'm not joking on this one. I do not have the gift of mercy. I, I just don't. I really don't. Uh, particularly with those people who get themselves in a bad situation uh, by their own doing and do it over and over and over again. I just, that's, I, I'm, I'm being very honest. I don't have the gift of mercy. Uh, well, I, I could give you an example, but I won't because it'd be too telling on me. But there's some people... There's some people that just do, uh, doctors, nurses. I'll tell you a story about my mom. My mom is long since gone, so I can tell this story, and she can no longer uh, affirm it or deny it. My mom worked as a surgical nurse, um, and uh, her story was there was a lady who came in who had a bad, bad infected large toe on one of her feet. Uh, they worked on it, um, tried to, to, to save the toe. She went home for a couple of weeks, came back, it was infected. They worked on it again. Uh, Jess, maybe you can, you can uh, uh, kind of relate to this. Uh, they came back again, and finally they removed the toe. And my mom, who was a little bit outspoken, kind of where I got it from, said to the doctor afterwards, not in front of the lady, but to the doctor afterwards, wouldn't it have been better just to take off the toe right from the beginning? The doctor said, you ever have a headache? <laughs> she got the point. She got the point. But that's kind of me, right? Particularly with someone who doesn't take care of themselves. My daughter and son-in-law, her name is Venus, his name is Scott, uh, every Monday feed uh, between 30 and 60, I'm going to say homeless, in Rochester. Week after week after week after week. Um, some of the people that, that come um, really don't need the food. They really don't. They just come because it's a free meal. Um, many of the people, as you would imagine, are in that situation by continual bad choices. That just it blows my mind that my daughter and son-in-law, week after week, can go and show mercy and kindness to these people, even knowing that many of them are there because they make bad choices. And it's not bad choices once, it's bad choices over and over and, and over again. I'm thankful for people like that. I'm glad that that, that kind of mercy shown certainly expands the work overall big C church, right? It doesn't necessarily help our church, and that's okay, uh, our little C church, but it helps the overall big C church. And I'm grateful for people uh, who are able to show mercy um, uh, on people uh, when they need it or even when they cause it them themselves. So what's your gift? Do you know what your gifts are? If you don't know, here's my suggestion. If you don't know what your gifts are, ask your spouse. Your spouse does. Or if you're not married, ask your mom and dad or a good friend. They know what your gifts are. Find out what your gifts are and then use those gifts. Again, why would you just leave a gift that God's given you collecting dust when you can use it not only to bless someone else, but to receive a blessing yourself for using those gifts. Pick on my, my uh, friend Lauren. Lauren comes in week after week after week and makes sure that we, we have coffee, that we have hot water for tea that I don't drink, um, that, that if there's food left over from like last night or people bring food, she gets it out there so we all can enjoy that. Um, the reason why she does it, yes, she wants to bless all of us and, and she does 
she blesses all of us. But she would tell you, if you ask her, that she receives a blessing in using her gift. So find out what your gift is um, and then use it. You can be a blessing. You can re- uh, uh, receive a blessing. And you can be part of something that's much bigger than who you are. right? Much bigger than just you. Um, I, because you're sitting right in front of me, I keep thinking about the DR, right? You guys are, are part of something much bigger than the two of you. It's fantastic. The lives that they're, that they're reaching and touching and helping is so huge and so big because they recognize their gifts uh, and apply their gifts. And before I get too far with gifts, if you haven't received the biggest gift at all, remember there's a gift that's available to each and every one of us. It's called salvation. It's called accepting Christ as your savior. If you haven't received the gift from Christ, start there because I know that as soon as you receive that gift, he will make the rest of the gifts available. Now you're going to say to yourself, but Gee, you've been talking about gifts. How do I use the gifts here? Well, good news. Kylie, down here in front, knows where all the different areas of ministry are in this church. She also has a good idea probably already of what your your gifts might be, or in talking to you, we'll figure that out. Um, But see Kylie um, and, and see about uh, using your gifts or talk to one of us, uh, particularly some of us that have been around here for a while and say, I'd like to get involved, but I don't know that I really have anything to offer. Um, you can be involved. And it doesn't have to be here inside of our little church, right? It doesn't have to be here. Um, there's so many opportunities uh, in our area where you can use your gifts uh, to, to help others. And so uh, I, would intu- I would encourage you Think about what your gifts are and then use those gifts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our congregation. Our little church we know is Great Bay Calvary. Lord, thank you for Great Bay. Lord, thank you for so many people that give of their gifts week after week after week. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you make all of that possible. Lord, I certainly got to especially say thank you for Pastor Jeremy. Um, what, a, what a privilege it is to have such a talented uh, person deliver a message week after week. And most of us don't even begin to understand the amount of time and effort, the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that go into uh, his messages week after week. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for um, our opportunity, my opportunity, to use even my weak gifts that I have to be able to use those in your service. Lord, be with us in the rest of the day. Guide and direct our lives. Help us, Lord, to have a desire to serve you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.